podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi and a lesbian. I'm bi, trans, Lebanese, and we're both living in America. Yes, and today we are speaking to someone who is not in America. Hello. Hello, this is Alison Washington. I'm a journalist uh, living and working in Cairo. Where can people find your work? Uh, well, I'm fairly Googleable at mm-hmm. Alison Washington, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, and uh, the usual spelling of Washington. And you can go to alisonwashington.net, and there's my bio and reader guide. Mm-hmm. How did you come to be in Egypt? Okay, I thought of something snarky, like I took a plane, but anyway, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's kind of an odd story. Um, I'm actually best known for my um, memoir and essay work. But about a year and a half ago, I started working uh, a trans, uh, a group of trans uh, writers in uh, mostly in Egypt, but also around uh, MENA, which is the Middle East and North Africa. They were doing, they are doing a project that translates uh, material from English into Arabic for um, the very underserved Arabic world for transgender material. And starting about a year and a half ago, I was working with them on that. Prior to that, I had absolutely no knowledge of the Middle East or North Africa. So it was just a personal connection and um, kind of uh, toe in the water working with them over a year and a half. No particular intention of getting further in than that. And then, but you know, became close to people and became friends. It's odd what you can do over the internet. You can actually become quite close to people over long distance over time. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite the thing that's happened. It's been really influential in my life, obviously. <laughs> right, yeah, you are all in now. All in. Um, so uh, what happened was um, some very bad things happened in Egypt last October, um, a thing called the Rainbow Flag Incident, which is also Google- Googleable. Um, and friends of mine, uh, some were arrested, some fled the country, the rest went into hiding. Yeah. Um, and so at that point it got personal. And then over the few months that followed, we started talking about having me come here to do some research and reporting. And and I moved here from England uh, in in early January. So I've been here almost six months. Okay. Uh, Just to clarify for our listeners, this was in reference to the Mashru Leila concert where someone showed a, like, waved a rainbow flag? Uh, yes, that's okay. correct. Um, okay. And the people, the people that were arrested for uh, holding that flag up, are actually friends of friends. Oh wow! Um, yeah, well, it's a very tight knit community. Everyone yeah. knows everyone. Um, a wow. friend of mine was arrested and subsequently was tortured and has now been sentenced to five years. Wow. Um, to three other friends have now fled the country. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's hard to tell how many people overall were arrested from the LGBT community, but I think current estimates are around 60 to 80. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, so, so, Sort of a legal side note, how much immunity does your, pass- your citizenship offer you in a situation like this? Like what would happen? To you? 
That is a very good question. Nobody knows. You probably don't I'm want very to test that. I'm very secretive. Um, Alison Washington's a pen name, and uh, you know, and and under that name, my work is modestly well known. Um, my real name and so forth is quite secret. I'm. I'm what's called woodworked in private life. So, like mm -hmm. in my private life, nobody nobody knows I'm LGBT, and nobody knows that I do this work. Yeah. Um, so I keep sort of a, a pretty tight wall between those two halves of my life, which is very strange to maintain sometimes because. Yeah, but smart. I will appear in public as Alice in Washington at events and things, and then I sort of disappear into private life. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it goes. Still, um, yeah, we're but uh, it's effectively illegal to write about LGTB rights in Egypt. There's a bit a law that was passed not that long ago that makes it basically treason to promote LGBT in Egypt uh, mm -hmm. as a writer. If I were Egyptian, I would uh, be at extremely high risk for torture and incarceration. They do this with journalists and with LGBT people here. Mm -hmm. As a foreign citizen, it's unclear. They have arrested and either deported or incarcerated foreign journalists. And as to someone who, oh, and they've arrested people who are not journalists. It's never been tested what happens if they apprehend you and you're both. Yeah. <laughs> I can't so imagine it would end well. Uh, well, at the very least, it would be scary as hell, mm -hmm. and um, and at worst, yeah, the the minimum sentence is five years. So I've been accused of being either brave or insane. That's a fair assessment. Or both. From what you've observed or what you've learned um, being in the Middle East, compared to other Middle Eastern countries, where would you say Egypt falls on that list when it comes to the safest or most dangerous country to live as an LGBT person? I know that might be hard to answer. It's very broad. It's a yeah. very complicated question. I sent you a map, which obviously the listeners can't see, um, although if they go to Wikipedia and look up LGBT rights worldwide, uh, it's the same map that's shown there. Yeah. We'll share it on um, our website too. So um, the handful of countries that are shown in uh, darkest red there, it's basically a death sentence mm -hmm. to uh, be apprehended. Um, as a homosexual male. Now, this is the thing, This it really depends which slot you fall into. Yeah. And um, what is generally in reporting, both in the West and in the region, uh, when you see a thing where gay men have been arrested and tortured or whatever, mm -hmm. um, what is erased is the fact that a disproportionate number of those are transgender women because nobody differentiates, including Western press don't differentiate. What often happens if some, if a quote-unquote man is mm -hmm. dressed as a woman, this is where the pressure comes down hardest. And in general, you won't find anyone walking around in public in women's clothes who looks like a man unless they're a transgender woman. Nobody does this for fun. So, right. so your chances of, of falling afoul if you are a trans woman are much higher than if you're a gay man. Mm -hmm. The consequences if you're a trans woman or a gay man are much higher than if you are a lesbian. Um, lesbian uh, lesbian uh, relationships are pretty much largely invisible and you can go to places like Kuwait or Gaza where it's perfectly legal as a woman to have sex with a woman but if you're a man it's going to be really bad mm -hmm. and that's pretty typical of the region.
basically there's no good place anywhere across North Africa or the Middle East or really anywhere in the Islamic world where it is safe to be LGBT. Pretty much anywhere across that band, if people perceive you as being especially a gay male, and that's to include trans women, your life is going to be in jeopardy even in places where it's not illegal technically. For example, for extremes, um, there are a few countries where it's technically perfectly legal to be gay. Um, the three that are obvious are Egypt, uh, Jordan, Iraq, and for example, Chechnya, it's on paper legal. Mm -hmm. uh, in practice, um, if you're in Iraq or in Chechnya, and people perceive you as a gay man, you will probably be killed. Extrajudicial killings in those areas are very frequent. In Chechnya, the government openly encourages the killing of su suspected gay men. Jordan, it's a lot better. Jordan is kind of a don't ask, don't tell. It's technically illegal, but they don't, as long as you're quiet about it. I mean, there's no nothing like being out. Yeah. But if you're discreet, there's not a problem. If you're a trans woman in Jordan, Although it's not illegal to cross-dress, they will pick you up and hold you for a couple of days of abuse before releasing you, usually like two days to a week. Basically mild torture by the standards of the region. Egypt, it's actually perfectly legal to be gay or to cross-dress on paper. In practice, we have a law here called Fugur. It's usually translated as um, uh, debauchery. It's what it's usually translated as. This is a general law. This is from the early 1960s. It was originally put in for prostitution. And since about 1980, it's been used against um, the homosexual and trans community. So and basically, for vague. it's very vague. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's now used um, both against uh, sex work and against um, LGBT people. And it's whatever they want it to mean. The most recent arrests for Fugur of trans women that I know of were a week ago. Um, oh, wow. So this is an, an ongoing thing. They had kind of stopped doing it for a while, like through the revolution and stuff. And then starting last October, it's been ramped up again. Um, uh, it falls particularly heavy, heavy on trans women um, who may try to transition or, you know, be dressed, as it were. Um, often neighbor, neighbors will report, uh, families will report to the police, mm -hmm. um, and if you, and then the, the most other common way to get arrested is at checkpoints. Mm -hmm. So uh, random, random checkpoint stops, they see your ID is mailed, they arrest you. Uh, what happens then is you're held anything from a few hours to months, um, and you can expect to be sexually assaulted um, at the mild end on up to torture with electricity and so forth. Uh, there have been some cases of disappearances. I know of one case of a body turning up. And uh, then imprisonment for Fugur is pretty commonly if you're convicted at three years. But it can, like if you're an activist or if they perceive that you're an activist, it can be five to ten years. And for a trans woman then, I mean, imagine being like a partially transitioned trans woman with breasts mm -hmm. and being put in a crowded men's prison for three to ten years. Things just aren't looking hopeful right now in Egypt, it sounds like. There is uh, no place across um, the Islamic world where being out is a thing. There are two countries where it's kind of a thing. Um, the main one being Lebanon. Now in Lebanon uh, and the other being Tunisia. 
Now, in these countries, it's still illegal to be homosexual, but uh, they're not prosecuting. Um, and in fact, um, we have regional LGBT conference that happens annually in Lebanon. And um, yes, um, there's even like a, an LGBT human rights training program that's run from Lebanon that some friends of mine have attended. I should mention to the listeners that I'm at the tail end of a flu. So I've shot myself up with nose spray, but you <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is um, in Lebanon. Wouldn't would that be uh, Halem? I'm actually blanking on the name right now, but that sounds right. Okay. They, yeah, they mentioned that. Yeah, okay. they they get a frequent mention on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm a bit of a fan. Yeah, I'm not super knowledgeable about that, and in fact, I should probably qualify everything I say. Um, as I say, my involvement only goes back about eight months. I'm still very much in the learning process. I may, I may make flat statements sounding like I know what I'm talking about, but I have to qualify everything by saying I'm still a learner in this. I live here. I'm pretty close to it, but there's still a lot I don't know. So yeah, so Lebanon. Lebanon has had two pride events, uh, one a year ago and one here just recently. The one a year ago was phenomenal you know, and went without a hitch. This year, um, a few days in, they arrested the primary organizer and uh, held him until he signed a statement saying he would cancel all events, and he did so. So the future of Pride in Lebanon is unclear. Now, in Tunisia, it's interesting. Um, There's just the President's Commission on Gender Equality released a report, I think, less than a week ago. And one of the recommendations in that report um, was to legalize uh, homosexuality. And it's not clear if they're going, yeah, it's not clear if they're going to proceed with this or not. I mean, this is in a report of a whole bunch of things having to do with women's equality, mm-hmm. equality of inheritance, uh, equality in, um, in family roles, all this kind of thing. Um, but also in there was this recommendation to make homosexuality legal. A couple of things have happened in Tunisia this last year, one of which was a gay film festival right. that was publicized. So that was kind of surprising. The other is the launch of, a, of an LGBT radio station, which may still be on the air. I'm not sure. This was, I think, a couple months ago. They've had severe death threats. And a day or two ago, I heard that the government was making moves to shut them down. Um, but I don't know what's happening with that. But in any case, that's pretty phenomenal as well. And I and I will mention that in terms of the 2011 revolution, Tunisia is like the only country that has held on to the revolution and made progress. Um, everywhere else, it's gone badly. Yeah. And like especially, especially here in Egypt. Also talked about that quite a bit. Uh, Tunisia was gave a lot of people a lot of hope that things would change for the better across the Middle East, but it sort of fizzled out, at least outside of Tunisia. Yeah, um, well, it all started um, with what, the fruit seller yeah. <laughs> in, in, in Tangiers? Or in, in, um, yeah, in Tangiers. And they have held on to their revolution. They've got a new constitution um, happening, and, um, and they've held on. We all know what happened in Libya. Libya basically degenerated into a civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Egypt, what happened was um, we got a year of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, democratically elected and then backlash against that. And now we've had, then we had a military junta 
and we now have an increasingly tight police state, effectively dictatorship, and at this point, it looks like Al-Sisi is going to go the full Mugabe on us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, even to the extent, to give you an idea, they've passed laws basically making journalism illegal, um, making NGOs uh, effectively illegal. All the NGOs have had to pull out. Journalism um, as a whole, illegal? Uh, well, there's a law that's, uh, that's in place as of last year that yeah. says um, that you're not allowed to uh, slander the state, the military, the police, wow. um, or say anything against anybody, basically. Um, they've shut down almost all independent news outlets. They've shut down. They have blocked Internet access to almost all overseas news outlets wow. um, of any significance. And um, this friend of mine who was arrested... Um, and was sentenced to five years. She was sentenced to five years for a Facebook post. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Somebody else who's an acquaintance of a friend was arrested very close to where I live here for posting a YouTube video complaining about sexual harassment. And this is, yeah, in, in, the, last, uh, in the last two months, they've arrested, to my knowledge, at least nine journalists and bloggers. In the, in the last two months alone. There effectively is no um, non-government press. And to give you an idea of just how extreme it's going, there's a law in committee right now to make it illegal to report on the weather. What? What? I'm not kidding you. Why? Uh, because of false reports of, of weather, of bad weather being like upsetting the population. So uh, the new law says Unless you're a government-authorized entity, you can't report on the weather, and you can't even own any meteorological equipment. Uh, All right. Looks like they're... Yeah, that sounds like they're just trying to stop any sort of... anything that would cause an arrest or discussion. Uh, Any discussion at all um, outside of what the the government discusses. That's what I mean when I say he's going the full Mugabe. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically going full police state at this point. Yeah, that's where I live. (laughs) <laughs> willingly it, sound, it, it sounds scary on one hand but also so fascinating to be there you know i hope you're you're feeling safe there uh i do have some no side... <laughs> <laughs> just no i i did have a side question how much does uh class and wealth play in how badly you're prosecuted out there like do rich people can basically bribe their way out, or is this being applied to everyone across all levels of society? Uh, depends how much they feel threatened. Mm. It depends on your position. Um, basically, if you have connections in the military here, mm-hmm. you might be able to get off a little easier. But then again, um, like in the last election, they they arrested you know military people who weren't uh, falling into line. So that's no guarantee. Um, so basically, yeah, nobody's safe. Yeah, that's, that's pretty unusual. Yeah, no, um, I'm not aware of any, um, ability to bribe, uh, one's way out once one's been apprehended. So in Iran, uh, there are of course medical exceptions for like trans people to get treatment and transition. Is there anything similar like that in Egypt? Okay, so being transgender in the Islamic world, there are two countries in which it's feasible to transition in Iran, which, by the way, as you know, but just for listeners who might have just tuned in, is not an Arabic country, it's Persian. Yeah. And they are Shia Muslim. And here in Egypt, we are Sunni Muslim. We are an Arabic country. 
and it is possible to transition in Egypt. These are the two places. The reason it's possible is that in each case has a fatwa, uh, and uh, fatwa is an Islamic ruling. I, I should actually back up and mention that the legal systems uh, governing family and gender law in all of these countries is Sharia. As I say, you know this, but some listeners might not. Sharia is um, Islamic religious law mm-hmm. based on, uh, obviously, the Quran and related documents, and uh, as interpreted by clerics. In the case of Iran, Ayatollah Khomeini uh, in, did a ruling at the behest of a particular trans woman back in the 1980s, where he ruled that Mukhanath, um, which is um, she-males, women who look like, or men who look like women, mm-hmm. the Mukhanath were a special case of Junta, which is uh, hermaphrodites, in therefore, and as being, um, quote-unquote, psychological hermaphrodites. <laughs> oh, wow. And therefore, it was halal to treat them. Mm-hmm. Um, where in most, most of the Islamic world, being trans is considered haram. And separately to that, completely separately to that, here in Egypt, um, also in the late 1980s, uh, this in, in the late, I, I think it was 1989, oh God, what was his name? Sheikh, um, and it's not coming to me at the moment. Anyway, the Sheikh here made it Muhammad al Tentawani. Sorry, I probably butchered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I. Oh, Mohammed Al Tantawi. Yeah. Yes, that's him. Yeah. He made a ruling here um, as regards another specific trans woman again, um, where he um, also, uh, based on psychological hermaphrodism, mm-hmm. uh, ruled that that uh, transgender was a case of junta, mm-hmm. so that um, it was halal to treat. For this woman to have been treated, this was done after the fact, unlike in Iran where it was done before the fact. That fatwa has been used to enable trans people to transition here in Egypt. And in fact, some people come from other countries here to, in order to transition. This does not mean that there's a direct path. There isn't. <laughs> there is one hospital here where you can get the paperwork done, and it's pretty hit and miss. Because in the, the fatwa that we have here in Egypt um, there's a distinction that he made between natural psychological hermaphrodites and those who just want to, whatever that means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're in the position of convincing the doctors and psychologists that you're a natural <laughs> transgender person and not a want-to-be, whatever that means. Whatever that and what this usually or often involves is a course of reparative therapy, and then when that fails then they will let you transition. To back up, um, there was a slight glitch in the um, recording, so just to fill in what um, no, we No, we have her recording. But just that one part. Um, who falls so, like, supposedly, falls under this psychological hermaphroditism category, according to this ruling? That's a good question. In the case of both fatwas, it's put in the hand of quote-unquote medical experts. Uh, what this amounts to is the psychologists and surgeons um, involved in providing the service. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it's actually very similar to how things were back in the like the 1970s and 1980s in the West, 
which is I transitioned in the 1980s. And this is very similar to how it was then, where basically you had to go in and satisfy the gatekeepers that you were the real thing. Um, And it's very similar to there. You have to look like in the case of a trans woman, you have to look to them, look like a woman. You have to be cis normative. You have to be straight and you have to convince them that you've always been this way and that there's no changing it. And once they're convinced, then they can sign off on your transition. So who qualifies is who can convince the doctors. Yeah, sounds about right. So again, comparison to Iran, has this led to um, gay men being forced into transition or as an alternative to punishment? So the only case where that would apply would be in, would be in Iran. Mm-hmm. Just make and uh, and it's um, unclear as to what's happening. It's very hard to get information out. One media report I saw from the BBC a couple of years ago indicated that there were cases, but it wasn't clear there were no specific. You know, the, nobody has ever got somebody on the record who said, yes, this happened to me. Um, there's one person on the record who um, did go through a reassignment mm-hmm. um, and isn't sure that she was really trans. <laughs> Um, there are other people who face with reassignment or death have mm-hmm. fled because uh, we, we haven't mentioned this, but if, if you're uh, convicted of sodomy in Iran, they kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So having reassignment saying, oh, no, no, I'm really a woman might be a way out of that. Yes. I was um, asking if there was anything, any, any cases like that in Egypt. Uh, no, um, it's not uh, illegal to be gay in Egypt, uh, although it is, as I said, you can get arrested for fugger, but um, there's no death penalty officially now, okay. um, uh, which isn't to say that there's not a risk to life. There is all across the Islamic world because um, of extrajudicial killing, mob mm-hmm. killings. And also, uh, one thing that hasn't been reported a lot on is that family honor killings are actually fairly common. Um, And it's not unusual for uh, women who have disgraced the family by having premarital sex, for example, to be killed by their fathers or brothers. Mm -hmm. And this also applies to uh, gay uh, people and to transgender people where if the family is uh, fairly conservative, yeah. uh, they may try to kill, they may actually go and kill them. Well, using various hadith to uh, justify their actions. Well, yes, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's and in a lot of countries, um, honor killings are, are promoted as a good solution. I hate that this, is, this has com- commonalities across the Middle East. I just really hate that. I know. Well, mm-hmm. and for example, the... Um, the way that the LGBT community is treated is really not backed up by the Quran itself. You're, you're outside of, of my expertise when we start talking about Quranic and Hadith law. You know, the, the obvious things are, are used, um, just like in the West, you know, uh, yeah. reactionary Christians say, you know, the Bible says, um, you know, the man who sleeps with another man, you should kill him. Well, in the Quran, there's the same kind of general statements that are that are used to justify this yeah. um, but as far as yeah like totally just completely, <laughs> just completely manipulated to as a justification to hate someone different from you uh. yeah um 
How did how did people um, from your life react when you told them that you were moving to Egypt? I know you uh, people in the what? Yeah, people in the West. People like, here I'm or sure people you, in the West? People in the West. <laughs> people in the West, I guess, to start with. Like, I'm sure you got various reactions. Like, as I said at the beginning, everything from, oh, you're so brave to, oh, you're out of your mind. Um, yeah. Uh, not, a, not a week goes by that I don't have a reader write to me and, and accuse me of being insane and, and would you please get the hell out of there. Um, yeah. And, and I've questioned my own sanity at times. Um, yeah, basically people worry about what I'm doing and there's reason for that. You are doing some very needed and important work. I, I hope so. Um, I, it's not clear to me how what I'm doing figures in the scheme of things. Um, basically, I'm just collecting stories about what goes on here and I'm publishing those outside. I have no idea if that will change the calculus anywhere for anyone. Um, information information but, is powerful. So I think, you know, and maybe it won't impact things now, but maybe in a generation. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's the only thing I can do outside of the fact that I also do things to help people I know individually get out of the country where I can, um, you know, but, you know, but I'm, I'm not particularly well positioned for that either, except, you know, pretty much as moral support and, you know, this is who to talk to. Right. Um, you mentioned, you know, as sorry, you mentioned to us earlier this cool sounding NGO called Rainbow Railroad. Uh, Rainbow Railroad is a Canadian based NGO that um, finances and works to get um, people whose lives are in danger out of uh, these countries. They've been really active, for example, in, in getting gay men and trans women out of Chechnya. Um, mm -hmm. which is probably the, probably the worst place to be gay or trans in the world at this moment. Um, and they've also helped um, directly people get out of Egypt, including several friends of mine who have been able to escape in the last few months. We encourage so listeners they, to support this NGO, by the way. Yes. So. Uh, Rainbow, yeah, if you want to help people escape, which is... You know, as I say, except for Lebanon and Tunisia, pretty much the only hope for any LGBT people in any of these other countries right now is to escape. And Rainbow Railroad is prominent in making that happen. Yeah. You can read more about them at yeah. ra rainbowrailroad.ca. Yes, Rainbow Railroad. If you want to put, if, if there's one place you should go to help people, to help LGBT people where I am, that would be the place to go. I mean, outside of supporting me, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. People, people reading Allison's work um, definitely support her too. Uh, there's a Patreon page. Yeah, she pours a lot of time and effort into her beautiful pieces that she releases to the public. So we'll put a link on our website. Yeah, this is this is all all I do. Um, I don't have any, any day job. This is entirely what I do. And the vast uh, majority of the small amount of money I have to live on comes from my Patreon uh, subscribers. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I'm very grateful to anyone who puts a few uh, dollars in that direction. Literally, that's what I, what I pay my rent with. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, speaking of that, do you want to 
do want to mention a few key pieces that you recommend people check out um, when looking at your work? There's a long editorial pipeline for um, the kind of stories I do. So although I've been here six months, uh, the first story related to my work here is being published. I think it's queued for publication this weekend. Awesome. Um, that, that will be appearing in Them magazine, mm-hmm. uh, T-H-E-M, which is an LGBT uh, imprint of Condé Nast. Uh, they are at them.us, them.us. And um, as soon as that gets published, I'll give you the link to that. Awesome. Um, and our website will be updated uh, with it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so that'll be my first uh, published reportage from here. Um, although I should mention, um, I publish once or twice a week a letter from Cairo on my Patreon, yes. uh, which you can get. Which you can get even if you don't subscribe. You can follow me on Patreon, and you can, you'll get these weekly reports from Cairo of everything that's going on. Yeah, those letters um, are so. They're excellent. One of our friends actually referred us to you. Um, and yeah, I, I love your writing, your writing style. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And then as far as what I'm best known for, I'm, ac- I'm actually not best known for my journalism. I'm best known for my memoir and my essay work. Um, and uh, the so, you know, stories of my life, um, I guess to, to give you a capsule version, um, oh, 60, I transitioned when I was 31, 32. Okay. Um, I, um, so I, I've got this kind of weird life story, which is um, I was raised by my mother. Um, and I, if you can call it coming out, I came out to her when I was four. If a four-year-old can do that. And um, she uh, basically raised me as a girl. Um, I lived as a girl until I was 14 um, in Europe. And um, this is growing up in France, the UK, and Norway. Um, And uh, then when I was 14, I was sent to live with my father in America. And he he detransitioned me. And I lived, uh, quote unquote, as male um, from the age of 14 until 31, mm. when I, that's when I, I medically transitioned. Um, so I write about that, stories about that, um, everything from stories of my childhood on up to the present day, um, and all the shit I went through. Um, and uh, again, the best place to find those is at the Reader Guide at alisonwashington.net. Um, and that, that gives you a pretty good guide of how to go through my work and pick out what you, what you like to see. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've read a lot from you, but I still have so much. Oh, have you? Like, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the letters more. more and um, I just... Yeah, I haven't gone th- gotten through all the content though. You you put out a lot of content, and that is amazing. I've got so yeah, I've I've got probably something around eighty to a hundred published articles. Oh wow! At this point, yeah, uh-huh. I just I love how consistent you are, and um, 
you're able to get very personal and deep without betraying your own safety, you know, compromising your safety. From what I can... It's, it's not, a kind not, of not crazy easy. line. Yeah. No, it's a crazy line to walk. Um, yeah. I've always been woodworked. I, I actually did have a public transition in 1989. Um, but then after that, I did a what was a common practice in the day, which is I quit my job, sold my house, mm -hmm. you know, changed my name, changed my paperwork, moved and disappeared. Um, and, uh, you know, the blessings of being cis-normative and cis-passing. So um, I've been woodworked ever since. Mm. Um, yeah. And one side benefit of this, because of how early on I transitioned, there was no internet and there's no electronic records. So yeah. there's no there's no paper trail. Yeah. And this has been a real benefit since I started writing, because it means that I have the luxury of appearing publicly as Alice in Washington and have no connections that are traceable to my private life. Mm -hmm. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, internet, the internet has changed so much um, regarding, yeah, I mean, regarding that. My, my big nightmare is getting doxxed, you know. Yeah, that's ours. That's if, kind of ours too. Yeah. Because if that ever happens, it's going to be murder on me. So yeah. We're, hopefully I mean, that won't happen. We, we don't live in the Middle East, so we don't have that same imminent fear but um we're we relate to that in certain aspects for certain reasons like that's our fear too um yeah because it not only affects you know the people directly docs but possibly their friends and families careers if they're publicly associated you know uh it can be yeah it can be it can be really bad and um and yeah things in the states i don't know uh, it, depends, um. <laughs> it depends how closely you're working with a conservative or Middle Eastern community. Like if you're out or have an out child in like certain uh, Christian communities, you know, that could cost you like religious and teaching positions, even your job in certain places, depending on the employer. It's questionably legal depending on where you are, but it's, but it's not like not easily defendable. I'm and, just, yeah, I'm mostly worried about those very close to me in the Middle East who have been very supportive of me but can't be public about that support or very open about it. And so that's one reason we keep ourselves pretty like low profile, you know, we don't we don't give our last names on this podcast or give our personal social media or accounts. So, so you have you have people here where if their connection to you were known that would affect them here? Yes. Yeah, like it could uh -huh. affect our family members in the Middle East who mm -hmm. are, are close with us and have regular contact with us. So that's actually my main concern of like yeah. my main motivation for being pretty, pretty private, yeah. not not publishing our pictures, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, you asked me, you asked me about the safety of if one could be out here. I mean, what you're saying is that even being out in the United States no, we're can have yeah, blowback here in the Middle East. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like for family members, like, I mean, mm -hmm. it might not be as as likely that something would happen, but I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't want to take oh. any chances. Uh, so. it's, and it's I know, just... I know people. 
And it's just not like the legal consequences, it's also the social consequences. Yes. Well, for the families, those are usually the, the bigger of the two. Exactly. For the families. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I know um, pretty much all the people who have left here now live in, um, in America or Canada or Europe, um, have these really complicated ties back here where, um, you know, I, I know people who are in communication with families who have officially disowned them. Like, yeah, you know, they've been disowned, but they're still in secretly in contact. Yep. <laughs> I know, I know a couple people in that same situation. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. um, on a personal level, or I mean, in the grand scheme of things, as far as the whole family knows, you know, that person's disowned, but you know, certain family mm -hmm. members are like, no, they're still part of the family. I'm going to still talk to them, mm -hmm. but not be open yeah. about it. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, I know so many sad people who are so, you know, who left their homes <laughs> because they had to and lost their families and, uh, you know, are alone and adrift in the West right? Um, with the loss of those connections. And, and it's, yeah. it's really hard on them. Devastating. With communal cultures like that, uh, where family is everything, that is very devastating for someone's future and and that's how it is here family is everything yeah yeah and um you know and uh, accepting families are the are the exception not the rule here so um mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow well oh my gosh i'm so uh this is amazing to get to talk to you um well, thank you. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm just, I'm so happy you're doing. I mean, you're doing the work that you do, and um, I, I can't wait for our listeners to check out your writing. They will not be disappointed. I promise everyone listening, you will not be disappointed. It'll go. Beyond. I'm really looking forward. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this story that's coming out this weekend. Um, yeah. I, it's. It's called it's called Trans Women and the Police, Cairo, Amman, London, San Francisco. At least I think that's the title they're going to use. Okay. And it compares it compares police treatment of trans women in the Middle East with police treatment in the West, and the comparison is not entirely favorable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, for example, they're, Texas, they're, I was about to say, for example, in the West, in Texas, particularly. Uh, where trans women are held is entirely at the discretion of the local police. They want to throw them in with the men, sure. If they want to throw them in with women, sure. If they want to hold them in mm -hmm. isolation, sure. It's the, basically the law will defer to whatever the locality says, which is both yeah. frightening and maddening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what my story talks about is, of course, the horrendous treatment the trans women receive here. The slightly literate treatment received in the UK and and in the United States. Wow, that'll that'll be a powerful so, piece. So, um, it's, your, uh, I your think episode. So. Oh, sorry, your episode is going to drop uh, go public. This episode is going to go public on uh, June twenty second. So, is that article probably going to be out before then? It 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 is scheduled to be published before then. So yes, by the time the listeners hear this, that Wonderful. article will be up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. in that case, listeners, uh, by now you should be able to look at it. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Barring any editorials. Click on the website. Yes. Barring any editorial shenanigans. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully none of that. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, things are always subject to change. Um, this story has been about to be published for months, so anything can happen. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, whenever mm -hmm. it comes out, we'll, we'll definitely include this on our, on our website. Um, so. Mm-hmm. And again, you can, uh, alisonwashington.net will point you to whatever the latest is. So. All right. And is there any other way, um, you, if people want to give you feedback or I guess like contact you after listening to this episode, is there a way you want people to reach out to you? I really appreciate hearing from people. I'm pretty engaged with readers, um, and uh, it's very easy to reach me on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, through my Patreon. I'm pretty responsive, and I would encourage people to come to me with questions. Awesome. Um, so if you look for Allison Washington on Twitter, you'll find me, um, or on Facebook, and we can put links to that as well. Yes, definitely. We will. So, um, and yeah, if people want to write to me, I'm, I, I will be happy to respond. Awesome. All right. Yeah, Allison, I can attest personally, Allison is very responsive and wonderful to talk to on, yeah. online. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we, We've done a lot of communicating. Yeah, you know, like just now. Yes. Um, and if you want to reach out to us, we are at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. We are on thequeerarabs.com and you can um, find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, The Queer Arabs. So thank you all very much for listening and thank you, Allison, for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. All right. All right. Outro. Outro music. Mm -hmm.